think my kids would love you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, kids live in... Well, I mean, kids li I mean, Can you imagine, Crystal? I mean, how can you be so mean to these kids? These kids live in Palestine. They go through checkpoints every day. Their, their, their dignity is taken away from them by the Israelis. They have to look at a gun every single day. And now their mom won't give them chocolate? <laughs> Let them have chocolate! are listening to Stories from Palestine podcast. My name is Crystal and I am your host. I live in Palestine with my Palestinian husband and children. Every week on Monday, you can listen to a new episode of Stories from Palestine. This week's guest is Palestinian-American comedian Amr Zahar, who is not only a comedian, but also an activist, a writer, a professor, a speaker, and a documentary producer. Welcome, Amr. Thank you for your time. Amr, when introducing you, in what order do you mention all these different titles? Well, I usually just call myself a Palestinian, and then everything else gets figured out after that. I mean, you know, yeah, I... I do a lot of things. Uh, my main job, of course, is a stand-up comedian. That's what I do. That's how I live. But, you know, obviously at my core, I'm an activist. You know, comedy is just the sort of tool I use to uh, express my activism and my advocacy for Palestine. I just learned that if you can make people laugh, they listen to you. So, uh, but first and foremost, I'm a Palestinian who's uh, trying to make life better for my people. Yeah, and you do also an interview other Palestinians. I see that on your Facebook and on your Instagram. And when you interview other Palestinians, you always ask them, where are you from? And I'm going to also ask you that question, but I'm going to ask you something to add to it, because the podcast is called Stories from Palestine. But actually, I realized it should be maybe called Stories about Palestine, because many Palestinians do not live in Palestine, they are living in what is called the diaspora. And when we were young in the Netherlands, we only knew the word diaspora in connection to the Jewish people, that they lived scattered around the world. So I bet there are many people who don't know about the Palestinian diaspora. Can you tell us a little bit about that, the event that created this diaspora? Well, I mean, look, we might not live uh, physically in Palestine, but of course, emotionally, we do. And every Palestinian who lives in the world has a connection to our homeland, whether they live there or not. Because remember, you know, we're not, we're there not by we're we're not there not by choice. Okay, we didn't choose to not be there. So, um, w for instance, when people ask me, you know. Why are Palestinians so angry? Why are you so angry? I say, well, it's pretty simple. I mean, I have four grandparents, and they were born in uh, Nazareth, Yaffa, Akka, and El Khalil, and they're buried in California, Jordan, and Delaware. And it's not because they wanted to be buried in those places. And so, you know, we might not live in our homeland, but our homeland always lives in us. And that's really all all that matters. And so I think you can keep calling it stories from Palestine, even if you are interviewing Palestinians who live all around the world. Uh, because the truth is, you can walk up to any six-year-old Palestinian living anywhere in the world, and he will still tell you the name of the village that his grandparents got kicked out of. And so we haven't forgotten. You know, Ben Gurion said a long time ago, he said, the old will die and the young will forget. And that didn't happen. You know, it didn't happen. Oh. I mean, it didn't happen at all. In fact, the opposite happened. So, uh, 
you know, we are all from Palestine. I sometimes say we were all born in 1948, no matter what year we were really born. We were all born in 1948 and we're all still in Palestine all the time. So, you know, for me, my family, you know, my dad was born in Yaffa and my mom was born in Akka. And my dad was born in 1948, about one month before the Israelis invaded Yaffa, and he and his family became refugees uh, to Jordan as a result of that. Uh, my mom was born in Akka in the 50s, and then in the 60s, she and her family uh, came to California, supposed to be just for a year or two for her father to study, and then um, were not allowed to come back uh, to his job and to his house in, in Akka, right on the seaside. And so both of my parents were exiled from their homeland, and then they met at a university in California, and then I came along in 1977. I was born in Jordan, where my dad was teaching. And so, you know, but this is not, I mean, this sounds like a crazy, like, sequence of events, but it's very, very normal to Palestinians, you know, to say, hey, you know, my dad was born here, my mom was born there, they met somewhere else, I have an uncle in Palestine, I have an uncle in Jordan, I have an uncle in Australia, I have an aunt in the United States, you know, this is all very normal that we live around the world. And yes, there is some irony that we use the word diaspora when it was used for Jews before us. You know, Edward Said once said that we became the victims of the victims. And so um, this, is the wor- this, is, this is why Palestine lends itself so well to comedy. Because if comedy is about, like, ridiculousness, well, being Palestinian is very ridiculous a lot of the time. And so uh, that's why comedy is so, such an effective tool in talking about uh, our everyday lives. Yeah, I was wondering about that. When you do comedy in America for, let's say, an American mixed people or Palestinian people, or if you do it because you come to Palestine and you do stand-up comedy shows, is the response very different? Are the jokes that you make very different? Um, no, I usually do the same material, but in one case, while it might be therapeutic for an audience to hear it because they're connecting to the stories. In another case, it might be sort of more educational for an audience to hear it. But I say this, I usually say the same stuff. I mean, sure, sometimes there's like some insider jokes that I'll say in Palestine or America. But for the most part, the material and the ideas are the same. And the truth is, you know, Palestine is pretty, um, it's not free physically, right? But it is free uh, artistically. You can kind of say and do whatever you want in Palestine for the most part. I mean, there's cultural norms, obviously, but you can sort of say and do whatever you want on stage, and that's um, accepted uh, there, uh, sometimes even much more than with uh, Arab-American society because they're a little bit more conservative. So, I mean, there there's so much... Performing in Palestine is not like anything else, man. I mean, it is the most amazing experience. You know, to be in Jerusalem, right near the old city, and performing comedy for, you know, three, four hundred Palestinians who are just living the most crazy life. I mean, what can I tell them? What can I say to them that is crazier than this? So I just end up talking about their life. You know, I just yeah. end up talking about their life and our life. And you guys live here. And how crazy is this? And in America, somebody thinks a hundred year old building is a big deal. And then you come to Jerusalem and, you know, the newest thing is 500 years old. And, you know, yeah. and you say to somebody, tell me about this restaurant. And he says, well, Jesus ate here. You know, like it's... <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's uh, different. It's different, you know? And so uh, that kind of stuff is the stuff that I talk about. Yeah. What is it that you love most about Palestine? 
Well, I mean, you know, it's easy to say the people, and but that's the truth. I mean, the truth is the people, the warmth, the resilience, the um, the sophistication, you know. People always say to me, why are Palestinians so, like, successful and educated and sophisticated? I mean, you know, first of all, we don't have plan B, so we can't mess up. You know, we don't have the ability to mess up, whether, whether we live in Palestine or somewhere else. We're so we're, we got to get it right the first time, and we know that, and we work very hard. But also, you know, we come from a pretty strong lineage in Palestine. I mean, mm-hmm. Jesus, you know, Jesus, he's one of us. And uh, he was pretty famous. He was pretty, I mean, pe- people, you know, he was an overachiever. I mean, he was <laughs> really, really an overachiever. And, uh, you know, he's the most famous man in the history of the world. And his mom is the most famous woman in the history of the world. And so, you know, we got a lot of, most of the most famous names in history come from Palestinians. Mary, Elizabeth, John, Peter, Paul. You know, these are all names from the Bible. And guess what? All those guys were Palestinian. So, I mean, you know, it's a pretty important place. And you feel that even if, you know, like I'm not a real, I'm not a religious guy, okay? But you feel that when you're there, the history of the place, you know, God chose Palestine. He didn't choose a people. He chose a land and he chose this land. And that is something that we all Palestinians, from the most religious to the most atheist Palestinian, we actually take that responsibility very seriously, that we live in a place that literally the whole world cares about. Uh, for one reason or another. And so that sort of history that lives within us is um, something that is like, you know, 70 years of, you know, these foreign occupiers is not really going to take that away. I mean, you know, you go to Jerusalem and um, everyone talks about Jerusalem being sort of the center of the conflict and the old city. I mean, if you go into the old city of Jerusalem, first of all, there's 33,000 people that live in the old city. 30,000 of them are still Arabs. So, I mean, they haven't been able to get rid of those people. And then... (laughs) um, Look, if you anywhere in Palestine, by the way, whether you're in Ramallah or Jerusalem or even Akka or Haifa or Yaffa, anywhere you are, if you want to conduct business in the street and you don't want to get cheated out of your money, there's only one language you can speak to make sure that you get the good deal. And that's Arabic. You yeah, speak that's any... I always like to ask my husband. <laughs> oh, yeah. Listen, if I were you, Chris, I would not walk around Jerusalem. You are going to spend way more money than he's going to spend. So, I mean, you know, that is that is the reality. And so, um, you know, this land is Arab. It's been Arab. That's why the Israelis eat falafel and hummus and listen to Arabic music. I mean, you know, they came to a place that already has culture. I mean, if they would have moved to Italy, guess what? They would have been saying that pizza and spaghetti are israeli you know i mean the, that's just the they moved to a place that already had all this stuff your your recent uh, video that you did was very popular here uh, where you said Achaduha mafrusha yeah. can you explain that to the people uh yeah <laughs> well Achaduha mafrushi is what my mom always says you know whenever she th- sees anything that they do, she says, Akhaduha mafrushi. And Akhaduha mafrushi means they took it furnished. Okay? And so, like, for instance, in Arabic, if you want to go get a furnished apartment, you would say, I would like a apartment mafrushi. So, Akhaduha mafrushi. And so, yeah, I mean, when you listen to Israelis and somebody asks them, when you listen to Gal Gadot, who played, uh, you know, Wonder Woman, and somebody asks her, can you teach us an Israeli word, and she says, uh, Sababa, 
which is an Arabic word. And then she says, yalla, which is an Arabic word. I mean, you know, but I, I don't know. I mean, I don't live in their shoes. I mean, I guess they really think this stuff belongs. I have no idea. But when they go around calling falafel the Israeli national snack and hummus is an Israeli dish, I mean, you, all this kind, you got to feel bad for them. I mean, this it's uh, some high level of delusion, which, you know, I don't understand. But um, they even said it. I mean, their generals and leaders have said there is no place here that was not once an Arab place. Okay, when TV shows that are looking to film in Arab locations come to film in Israel, in Haifa, and that means that you know the Arab thing is pretty strong there. And so, it's very clear. And they don't, you know, they always say, you know, they obviously they say they came to a people without a land. That's obviously BS. And they and they say they came, they kicked out whoever, even if they did kick out some people, they were just like, you know, some farmers and peasants. Even none of that, none of that's true. I mean, my parent, my grandparents were teachers. My grandfather from my mom's side was a uh, agriculture engineer. My mom's grandfather was one of the most respected lawyers and judges in Palestine. I mean, we had and still have, but had a much stronger civilization, an actual civilization that they tried to get rid of. Luckily, they failed. But that's the truth. And so when they come in, you know, it's pretty easy to build a successful country on a place in a country that was already there. You know, they didn't build anything out of nothing. And so, you know, that's that's the message to give and to also make Palestinians feel like proud and optimistic. We had and have a long culture a very long beautiful culture and um we've held on to it even though it there have been attempts to steal it from us and attempts to make us feel like we don't belong uh but it was there and so yeah and last week about a week ago you posted on social media also a very special message for palestinians you know what i'm talking about yeah, just to tell everyone I love them, man. You know, I mean, it, it's it, I actually posted that message back in February. I think it was even before the pandemic. But, you know, every now and then it becomes a little bit more um, uh, important. I mean, you know, look, the last few weeks have been tough. You know, all of the, it's never easy. You know, it's never easy. I mean, there is no way there. There's no day you wake up as a Palestinian and be like, this is going to be a great day. Like that, that, that just doesn't happen. Something shitty is going to happen every day if you're a Palestinian, no matter where you live in the world. And the past few weeks have been particularly bad, obviously, with the, with first there was, you know, um, the first announcement of the deal with the UAE and then 10 days of bombing Gaza and then the announcement of Bahrain and the UAE and this stupid celebration that they had last week. I mean, you know, it just wasn't you know, out of the out of like the, you know, being pal some I say being Palestinian is tough and being Palestinian is hard, but also sometimes it's just really annoying. Like, you know, you just you know, you see things on TV and you're like, uh. You know, I mean, like, you know, like you see things on I watched the Food Network one day and they were just talking about shawarma and somebody said it came from Israel. And I was like, Ugh. like that pissed me off more than all the land stealing, like more than all the stealing the land. I was like, ah, like, come on. You know, it's just a that's why we get mad about the food. Like, I understand why you want to steal our land. I totally get it. It's beautiful. You can live there. We built a lot of nice houses that you guys are still living in. You know, I get it. 
I get it. It's a beautiful land. It's the most beautiful land on planet Earth. You want it. I understand why you're stealing it. I really do. But I mean, come on. Like hummus and falafel and shawarma. It's just a little too much. You know, it's a little, it's just a little too much. So sometimes it's always sad and 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 tough to be a Palestinian, but sometimes really annoying. And the last few weeks were especially annoying when you see Trump and these three idiots standing on the White House, whatever they were, and this stuff that they're, I mean, you know, whatever, whatever. But here's here's the reality. We've been through a lot worse. You know, we Palestinians have been through a lot worse than this. They've tried so many times to literally kill us away, you know, to kill us and say, maybe we'll finally be rid of them. This little thing that's happening with a few, like, you know, Bedouin kings in, uh, uh, in Bahrain and UAE, I'm not too, <laughs> I'm not too worried about it. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think that's... we could, in a few months from now, it could all be, you know, they could have, they could, they might all just like take it back, you know? I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, uh... I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the Emiratis to come take their trip and try to visit the old city of Jerusalem. I do not look forward to that for them. Let them walk through Beit Safafa. I don't think it's going to be a good idea. This is exactly what we are talking about now. It's like, what's going to happen once they walk through the streets? Are they? Do they think they're going to be welcomed? Or what are they thinking about? <laughs> yeah. I want them to. I want somebody to videotape it. You know, somebody will videotape it. But I mean, we all remember, what was it, a year ago when the Saudi guy tried to walk into the old city? Yeah. And we saw We saw what happened to him. I mean, listen, we Palestinians are a very welcoming people however we have boundaries we have boundaries and you know when you are in bed with our oppressor that is one thing that we know you know we're we're not totally okay with that and so um and so hey but hey you know what they want to come to jerusalem ahlan wa sahlan come on in you know enjoy as much as you can i would come with a if i was uh, advising the emiratis i would say they should bring company they should bring people with I I wouldn't come alone, you know. I wouldn't I wouldn't I would maybe dress up like a Palestinian maybe so nobody knows what you are, you know, wear some like really tight jeans from Turkey and like a really some really tight t-shirt from the 1980s and then we'll all just think you're Palestinian, you know. Yeah, but it, yeah, yeah, sports shoes. <laughs> yeah, some you know, you know some of those fake Nike's, they're called Mikey's or whatever they're called, you know, all any of that kind of stuff. And then maybe you'll get away with it. But I mean, if you try to walk into the old city with those with that with those uh, white robes, no, I'm sorry, it's not it's not going to be good. It's not. Try to mix in. Hey, (laughs) Emiratis, Bahrainis, are you listening? Are you listening? Mix in. All right. Learn some chants. Learn a couple Muhammad Asaf songs. Start singing them on your way into the Aqsa. Don't (laughs) let anybody know who you are. It's not going to work out for you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to ask you also something. I asked my friends, what do you want me to ask him when I speak to him here? And they were, and they said, well, you have to ask him about what he's doing for the the elections. Trump, Joe Biden, Palestinians. What, uh, what's your opinion? What, what's going to happen? Well, I mean, you know, as a Palestinian, so look, Palestinians know more about like American politics than Americans do. And we know the positions of every American politician on Palestine, especially when it comes to presidential candidates. And, And Joe Biden is no stranger to us. We know exactly what he's done and what he said. And none of it has been good, you know. And so 
And we know Trump is an idiot. You know, we know Trump is an idiot. I mean, Trump is just, you know, he's an idiot. I mean, everything he does is idiotic. And he doesn't even know where Jerusalem is. I mean, doesn't even, has no idea. If you had to tell, ask him where it is on a map, he has no idea. And so part of me is like dealing with a dumb person like that might be better than dealing with a smart person like Biden who knows how to protect Israel all the time because he's been doing it for 50 years. But there's a lot of other things about Trump that, of course, are harmful in an American context. But I don't buy all the arguments that, you know, a lot of people say Donald Trump is a is an existential threat to the American political system. And then I'm like, I mean, I don't know. Donald Trump is a rich, entitled white guy. I mean, he's exactly the kind of guy that the American political system has been helping for 300 years. He's not he's not some stranger. You know, he's not he doesn't he's not the first rich, entitled, racist white guy that we've had as president. We've had a lot of those guys. So, I mean, the notion that he's especially unique is kind of weird uh, to me. I, I don't I don't think that's true. But he has bad policies. No question about it. And um, Biden would be better on some things domestically. However, if I only cared about Palestine and I was only voting on Palestine, which sometimes I'm inclined to do, um, I would probably stay away from either of these guys. I mean, look, some people talk about it picking the lesser of two evils. This is like picking the lesser of two abusers, you know, and uh, what if I don't want to be abused? You know, what if I don't want to be, you know, I would rather not pick one of my, since I'm going to get abused anyway. Why, you know, why you're telling me I'm going to get abused anyway. So pick which one is going to abuse you. I don't really care. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't really care. And part of me is like, well, if Trump is president, I'm able to get more people to see how crazy Israel is and how crazy Trump lets them be. We've gained a lot more in the Palestinian solidarity movement as far as coalition building and educating people under Trump than we ever did under Obama. And Israel's basically doing the same thing. You know, so, I mean... Part of me understands that I, I, I said it in the beginning when Trump first got elected. I said Trump and Netanyahu might liberate Palestine by accident, by no. accident. <laughs> they won't mean to, but it will be accidental. And I still think that they might liberate Palestine by accident because I don't think there's ever going to be two states. So I think we're going to end up in a one state solution one day and, you know, let Israel court of sort of go crazy and do whatever they want to do and send us there. Biden's whole promise in this election when it comes to Palestine is to bring back the status quo minus Jerusalem because he's not willing to move the U.S. embassy out of Jerusalem. So bring back the status quo minus Jerusalem. Well, that doesn't sound very exciting to me, you know, and uh, it's not like we were doing great under before Trump. So... I have a lot. Look, the election is not till November 3rd. They're still going to have a bunch of debates. Let's see. But I'm definitely not ready to make a decision yet. That's what I can say. Oh no! Mm. Are you still be, are you still active? I, mean, I know that you were a- really active on the political front with the Jewish guy, Bernie Sanders, the old Jewish guy. Yeah, look, we supported Bernie because he changed the conversation on Palestine. Bernie Bernie wasn't perfect on Palestine, by the way. Bernie had a lot of shortcomings when it came to the Palestinian issue, but he changed the conversation fundamentally, and he just wasn't all Israel all the time, like both Biden and Trump are. And so, um, but you know, he didn't win the nomination. Biden won the nomination, and so now I think it's my job to keep uh, educating our community, having these conversations, and and pushing. Look, once you say you're going to vote for somebody, then they don't really listen to what you have to say anymore. 
you know, because they figure you're going to vote for them. So my position is to keep our vote out there. Let's vote. We should all vote. But let's make sure we get everything we can possibly get from a candidate before we tell them that we're going to vote for them. And you don't have to tell somebody you're going to vote for them three months before an election. You know, most Americans are just starting to kind of wake up and realize there's a presidential election. It's only only been the last few weeks. So, I mean, we don't have there's no rush here. You know, there's no rush here. Um, Trump is an idiot. Yes. He mishandled the coronavirus pandemic. Totally. Totally. He's a jerk. Sure. Yeah. And at least, you know, it's very obvious. You know who you have in front of you. There's no doubt about it. And he's not smart. Like, I would rather have a not smart president, especially when it comes to Palestine. Like, I don't want a really smart president. I don't want a smart defender of Israel. I'd rather have a dumb defender of Israel. That works out a lot better for me. Yeah. <laughs> so best, better for the jokes also. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'm a, I was uh, thinking the other day uh, that when I came to live here and living in and around Bethlehem, that I only knew Bethlehem originally from the Bible stories and especially from the story of the birth of Jesus when Mary and Joseph came to Bethlehem because there was a Roman census. Now, for me, the only time when I heard about census was this Bible story. But then when I was watching one of your videos, I realized that there is an American census and that you actually did a documentary about it. Correct. Yeah, I mean, we we have a census here every 10 years. It's in the Constitution. We have a census to count how many people there are uh, so that they can decide how many representatives we have in our government, which makes sense. But they also ask you on the census to uh, identify your race on the census. And we Arab Americans have never had our own box for the race section. Everyone else has a box, but we don't have a box. And they've always called us white. And, you know, we're not we're not white. I mean, you're white. I can I can ask you. I mean, you're white. Do you think you're living around a bunch of white people in Palestine? I would imagine that I would imagine that the answer is no. You no. know, <laughs> no, no, you're not. Uh, and so, uh, we, you know, we're, we're just different as Arabs and we deserve our own box. And so I'm encouraging people this year. Finally, there's sort of a way that we have a box. We don't really have a box, but we're going to get counted. So we're encouraging people to fill out the census and write in their country because that will be identified uh, this year. But I know we're not white because I grew up with white people. I grew up with like white people like you, like Pennsylvania, Dutch, white people. They're very like, you know, some of them are some, they're very nice. They were like Episcopalian and Methodist and Lutheran, you know, just like very nice, very nice, but they're white. So they just have a different culture. You know, I've been telling this, this is the main difference that I've noticed. And I've been saying this for 10 years, um, is that if you Arabs, we have certain things in our culture that we do. And white people don't do them. They're just different, okay? It's not better or worse. They're just different. They're, white people are much more direct and and sort of honest than Arabs are, okay? So if you go to your white friend's house and his mom asks you if you're hungry, if you say no... You don't she, get anything? She actually doesn't bring you food. Yeah. She actually doesn't bring you any food to eat. And it's like the craziest thing in the world, you know, in Ar- in Arab culture, you are taught to say no over and over and over again with the full knowledge that they will bring you food. But you have to say no, because if you say yes, and then your mom finds out that you said yes, you're going to get in trouble. This is a shame to the family. So you have to say 
No. We do it everywhere. We even do it in a restaurant. Okay, we do it ever, ever. We even walk into a restaurant. The waiter's like, what would you like to eat? We're like, nothing, nothing. And he's like, no, really. And like, no, no, nothing, nothing. No, really. Okay, I'll have the spaghetti and I'll have pizza. Yeah. <laughs> we do it everywhere. You know, so I mean, you know, white people though. I mean, let me tell you a true story, okay? My grandfather, Muhammad, when he came to America, he came to America in the 50s to study for one year in California when he was young in his like late 20s or something. And, um, and he uh, had a host family in California. And um, he lived with them. And it was Thanksgiving. Now, I don't know if you know about Thanksgiving in America, but it is the food holiday. I mean, you eat more food on Thanksgiving than you eat on any other day. And my grandfather, Muhammad, he loved food, loved food. And so um, Thanksgiving, okay, they're sitting on the table. There's all this food on the table. And they start handing the plates around the table. And they say, "Uh, Muhammad, would you like some mashed potatoes? And he said, no, 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 thank you, thank you. And, and they say, Muhammad, would you like some uh, salad? No, 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 thank you. Uh, would you like some vegetables? No, no, no. Uh, would you like some turkey? No, no, no. And they didn't ask again. And they, yeah. and they all ate. And he didn't eat one thing on Thanksgiving. Haram. <laughs> okay, so this is sort of who we are. And so we're not white. We're not white. We have a different culture. We exaggerate a lot. You know, you know, if if you ask, haven't you ever met these Arab moms before? You know, it's like, what does your son do? Oh, my son, my son is a doctor. Oh, okay, cool. What's his specialty? Well, he does not really have a specialty yet. Oh, okay, cool. Where does he go to medical school? Well, uh, he does not really go to medical school yet. <laughs> He is seven years old, but he's going to be a doctor. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, we're just a different culture. And so we're not white. I know we're not white. White people, white people, uh, you know, even we build house. We do everything different. You know, if you give an Arab a big piece of land, okay? If you give a white person a big piece of land, this is what he does. Here's the street. He builds fences around his house with trees. He builds big things. And he puts his house all the way in the back with a long driveway. Like, you don't even know what his house looks like. You have to be invited. to. If you give an Arab a piece of land like this, he puts his house right on the street so everybody sees his house. He parks his car in front of the house, even if he has a garage. He wants everybody to see how nice his car is. That's how you know an Arab's house. Like if like if, if you were in the Netherlands and you would tell somebody, well, where's your house? You tell them, well, you drive down five miles, then you take a right, and then you're going to see this white house. It's on the left. There's a few trees in front of it, but it has the number 437 on it, and that's going to be our house. And then if you ask an Arab, how do you get to his house? He goes, okay, you're going to go down the street. Maybe you're going to see a tree, very big tree. And then you are going to take a right. When you see this tree, then you're going to go down down then you're gonna see a black mercedes white bmw that is my house (laughs) i mean we're different yeah you know for me living here in palestine makes me really realize a lot of cultural differences and growing my children here and me being that foreigner mom who does everything in a different way than all the other moms i remember my daughter telling me one day mom i just wish you were a palestinian mom and i was like why she's like well well, at least you'd give me chocolates. <laughs> yeah, the, they here they show the love through giving lots of sweets and lots of chocolates. And I'm that Dutch stingy mom that maybe right. also thinks a little bit too much about healthy lifestyle. Yeah, who cares so, about yeah. that? 
I'm your character. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think my kids would love you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, kids live in... Well, I mean, kids live... I mean, can you imagine, Crystal? I mean, how can you be so mean to these kids? These kids live in Palestine. They go through checkpoints every day. Their, their, their dignity is taken away from them by the Israelis. They have to look at a gun every single day. And now their mom won't give them chocolate? <laughs> Let them have chocolate. Can, don't you know what their life is like? They are dealing with all of this bullshit every single day. They see all these so people who literally want to kick them out, literally want to kick them out of their house. There Tomorrow there could be people that kick you out of your... Let your kids have some goddamn chocolate. Oh my God. <laughs> I'll tell them tomorrow. Lots and lots of chocolates. I'm yeah. Me. I mean, you don't know how much longer the chocolate's even going to be there. You don't know how much longer you're going to be there. They could, you could, guys could be living in the Netherlands tomorrow. Just be like, hey, you know what? It didn't work out. They took our house. And then you're going to be, so let them have that Palestinian chocolate while they can have it. So they have some good memories of Palestine. Oh, you taught me a very wise lesson. Yeah. I mean, look, look, the the culture in Palestine is, I, look, I sort of understand the culture shock because I live in, I live in America and I am Palestinian, but. You know, I lived in America my whole life. So when I go there, sometimes even I have little things that are culture shock. So this is the true story that happened with me about a few years ago. Um, okay, so there's a big difference between America and Palestine and probably the same thing between the Netherlands and Palestine. I, I didn't know this. So, okay, so in America, if a, if a man and a woman are walking down the street holding hands, that's totally normal. Um, if two men are walking down the street holding hands, it's still kind of weird in America. In Palestine, if a man and a woman are walking down the street holding hands, it's kind of weird. If two men are walking down the street holding hands, it's totally normal. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now, I didn't know that. All right. So I was walking down the street with a friend of mine in Jerusalem and he wanted to talk to me. So he grabbed my hand. But I am American. So I said, hey, man, stop it. He said, uh, no, no, it's okay. I said, it's not okay. <laughs> Don't touch me. He said, no, no, no. You can hold my hand. I said, I don't want to hold your hand. And then he gave me the most Palestinian answer I've ever heard in my life. He said, come on, hold my hand. What's wrong? Are you gay? <laughs> oh, that's unexpected. <laughs> So I held his hand, you know, because, you know, I, you did. I, oh. I, of course, I held his hand. I started kissing him, too, just so everybody knew. I'm not gay. <laughs> I mean, you know, the, apparently that's the way you prove that you are not gay in Palestine. You hold hands and you kiss the other men. And that shows how strong you are. So, you know, it's di even me. I have some culture shock when I go there. You know, when the last time I was there, I was there ah, when? Christmas. I, I've already had three trips canceled there this year. Um, oh. You know, March and June and August. We have a comedy festival there every year in August, and it was it was obviously canceled. So, but I usually return to Palestine two or three times a year. And you know, I come to Palestine and I realize that um, what I think in America is close. In other words, like two people standing close to each other. What I think in America is close in Palestine is actually very far. The, it, close means something else in yeah. Palestine. I mean, like, in, you know, in, Pal in, in America, if two people are this far away from each other, we say, wow, they're standing very close to each other. 
Yeah. In Palestine, though, like you're like everyone just wants to everyone just comes right up to say, hey, hey, how's it going? What do you? (laughs) And I'm like, dude, there's a lot of space behind you. There's really a lot of space behind you. You don't have to. No, it's okay. Hey, what's going on? Hey, how are you? Good. You're like, all right. That's why I think the coronavirus right now is catching a lot of people because of the different habits. In the Netherlands, we have a natural one arm's length distance at least. Oh, yeah. But here, it's maybe a finger. <laughs> yeah. No, no. When you, when you tell white people don't touch each other, they're like, yeah, we haven't been touching each other for 5,000 years. It's fine. No yeah. problem. We don't. <laughs> We have no, no problem no not touching each other. Yeah, no big deal. We don't have to touch each other. You tell Arabs don't touch each other. What? I don't understand. Like, they don't even understand what you're... That doesn't even make sense. Wait, like like in the morning? You're like, no, never. You can't touch people at all. You're not supposed to... Okay, but like how, exa- like, how do I kiss people? You're not supposed to kiss... You don't kiss people. Those are the rules. Oh, but how do I say hello? You just say hello with your mouth like everybody else. No, that's not very nice. We can't no. do that. <laughs> that's not nice. That's not nice, you know. So I'm, I, I always ask the last questions to, to finish the podcast to, to really understand who you are. I need to ask you, what is your favorite Palestinian dish? Mm. Well, you know, I, I, I love the typical dishes like msakhan and ma'lubi. And, uh, but my favorite dish that I just love to have is bami. I love bami. Did you just say that like on purpose or is that true? Because I've never heard anybody say that. Oh, bamia. I know it's, I'm not, I'm not joking around. I love bamia with meat and the meat has to be very tender and it's falling apart. And the bamia is very slimy. And then you put it on the rice. I love, I love bam Bamia, I love it. I love, I love, the, I love the other stuff, but bamia is it. Bamia is the favorite food of my mother-in-law. So if and when you come next time, she will love to cook you the best Bamia because I am so lucky. My mother-in-law is really, really an excellent cook. And Amr, I wanted to ask you. And you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to bring her chocolate. I'm going to bring your mother-in-law chocolate so she can give it to her grandkids. Yeah. Since obviously Dutch tradition doesn't allow you to give chocolate to your... What are your kids' names? Louisa and Hadi. Louisa and Hadi. I'm bringing you chocolate. I'm going to bring you American chocolate, a lot of it. And you can eat as much as you want, okay? I don't care what your mom says. You can have as much chocolate. You have to deal with this oppression every day. At the very least you deserve is some chocolate. So Louisa and Hadi, chocolate is coming your way. So, Amr, thank you very much for uh, doing this podcast with me. And uh, I really want to wish you a lot of luck for the coming six weeks up to the elections for what is going to happen in the country that you are living in. And I'm wishing you also all the luck with Palestine for what is going to happen in the coming period of time, because uh, you are living between two countries that are not the most easy. Thank well, you so much. Well, thank you. And I just want to say to all my people in Palestine, I wish you all health, happiness, freedom, and chocolate. Louisa, how do you say, I love chocolate? I love chocolate. I want chocolate. Bitty chocolate.
give me chocolate. Chocolata. Mama, give me chocolate, please. Mama, give chocolate, please. Chocolate is nice. Chocolate is you have been listening to Stories from Palestine podcast, a podcast focusing on Palestinian history and cultural heritage. You can find more information, photos and links on storiesfrompalestine.info. The website has a media player to listen to all the episodes, but you can also find Stories from Palestine on all the different podcast directories including Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Amazon. I want to give a shout-out to all the people who have supported the podcast through the crowdfunding and through the Ko-fi contribution page. With your support, more content can be created. So if you're listening to the podcast episodes and enjoying it, and you want to chip in, you can go to storiesfrompalestine.info and find the Ko-fi button. Thank you for listening and I hope you will be back next week for a new episode of Stories from Palestine.